We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, please. Matthew 13, uh, verse 44. I've got to get there myself. I was in the wrong spot. Okay, Matthew 13. The parables of the Lord Jesus. We've seen a couple of parables already and his explanation of those parables Uh, particularly the parable of the soils, as I call it. Uh, The parable of the soils or the sower is given and then explained. He talks about the purpose of the parables, why he speaks in this way to judge those who don't want to hear anything from him and to bless those with understanding uh, who do want to understand what he's saying. And then we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares, and we're kind of jumping through the chapter, hop-skipping through there to find the parable and then the explanation later, and then going back and getting the next parable and, and seeing what we can do. For tonight, I actually didn't go back to the parable of the mustard seed uh, and leaven and so on. We'll get to those, but I jumped to the next section right after where we were, and that is the parable of the hidden uh, treasure and the pearl of great price. Um, So let's read those briefly this evening. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the parables we skipped, the mustard seed and the leaven, speak of the global growth of the kingdom uh, of heaven from a very small start. And uh, we could think of that start as one man, one God-man, Jesus, selecting 11 faithful disciples, 12, but 11, and beginning to proclaim the message of the kingdom throughout Israel, and then that message spreading under the influence particularly of the Apostle Paul to the Gentile world, and then on to the rest of the the earth over the course of the last 2,000 years. But definitely starting small and and really having a hard time of it at the beginning uh, of of things. And still, the kingdom is not yet. Uh, We're in a different kind of phase, as I've told you about, from... Uh, many messages back now on this subject, but uh, it will eventually fill the earth and take over everything. As in those days, Jesus is still today sowing seed. His followers are planting uh, seed and watering with him, uh, co-laborers together, as Paul said of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, he, Jesus, is still inviting you to be a participant in his future kingdom. No, we're not talking about an abstract or immaterial kingdom here. We're talking about a literal, physical, bodily, governmental, societal, religious kingdom on the face of this globe, this very sphere upon which we find ourselves living today. That's where that kingdom is going to be. And what is required to get into the kingdom? Well, the 
the character of the kingdom is in the explanation of the wheat and tares uh, kind of gives it away, uh, tells us about that in verses 41 to uh, 43. Uh, it talks about those who offend and those who practice lawlessness being sorted out and taken out so they won't get into the kingdom. <clears throat> and then the righteous, verse 43, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so we have that division of righteous on the one hand and wicked um, uh, on the other hand, and they will be punished, the latter. So <clears throat> here's the thing. If, if, if the Bible's true, though, that none is righteous, it is true, Romans 3, and how do we get into that group that is the righteous who are welcomed into the kingdom? How can there be any residence in the kingdom of heaven if there is none righteous? Well, the answer is that God makes people righteous by exchanging their unrighteousness for the righteousness of Christ. And by the way, also taking their sin away from them, imputing that to Christ so that he pays for the sin and gives his righteousness to his people. We obtain that righteousness exchange through faith. Philippians 3.9 talks about not going about to establish my own righteousness, but to receive that which is from Jesus Christ. And and this is really the core of the good news of Christianity. It's those who receive the love of God by faith that will shine forth in the kingdom of their Father. The question is here to me now whether you will recognize the value of the kingdom into which you will be if you're a believer or not. Will you see the surpassing value of what Jesus is talking about and do something about it? That's what the two short parables of the treasure and the pearl are teaching us. Okay? In other words, do you care? Is it a treasure to you that you can participate in the kingdom of God or is it just so much eh, whatever? Uh, it doesn't matter to you. The parable of the hidden treasure says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, the treasure is not specified, but you can imagine it is a, it's a, it's an oil well. It's a gold mine. It's a silver mine. It's, um, you know, maybe a mine where, like, they just found, I think somewhere in Michigan, they've recently found uh, some blue crystals that they don't know what they are in some mine in, in the state here. Uh, I don't know about that, but... Uh, maybe it's something of that nature, some valuables that are buried underground. And this treasure is discovered by someone, and the person who finds it realizes its great value. He rehides the treasure. We can picture, you know, he's like, ooh, I can't tell anybody about this. I'm going to hide this treasure. I'm going to go uh, in, uh, so I can keep it for myself. A great joy about this situation. And so he sells everything he has and buys that field. Now, why is that? Because when he sells everything he has, now imagine what he has. I mean, imagine his life savings, his retirement, his home, some property that he has. He sells a bunch of that stuff because, say, it's worth, you know, I don't know, $500,000, all that stuff together. And he uh, wants to go buy this field because it's worth $10 million or something. It's a small investment, even though it seems like it's it's everything. Well, there's some risk attached to that, you would think, and all. But he, uh, he's induced to make that big financial move to, inquire, to acquire the field. He still does not disclose the existence of the treasure. Otherwise, the seller would not want to sell it, right? 
And so he sells everything he has to buy the field and then gets the treasure in the field, and he's happy, happy, very happy person. I would say happy as a clam, but we'll get to the clams next time around on the next parable here. Um, so let's first of all ask ourselves, how is the kingdom not like what we're reading about here? When the Bible says that the kingdom is like this or that, it's not saying that it's exactly the same as a hidden treasure. For one thing, we do not purposefully hide the message of God's kingdom, right? We don't, you know, just, okay, I know about the kingdom. I'm just going to get it for myself and, and hang on to it. it this, is a kind of, this is a kind of treasure that if you give it away, you still have the same amount of it that you had before. It's like the widow's oil. You keep giving and it never runs out. That's a difference. We don't need to keep it to ourselves because there's enough to go around for anyone who wants it. And we do not literally need to sell all our possessions in order to get it because it cannot be purchased with money. So remember, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It is not is this, right? Okay, so we got that. We do, though, take note of the rich young ruler. His particular case was such that the Lord demanded of him, look, go sell all that you have and then follow me. Why? Because his problem was he was hooked to money. He had this kind of attachment to covetousness and and, uh, desire of things and so on. And so the Lord wanted to expunge him of that and see if he was really serious about coming and following him. And so that's, in a sense, like this. The rich young ruler should have said, look, I found a treasure far greater than my riches in Christ. I should be able to just let go of all those things, help the poor, and come and follow the Lord Jesus. If that's what the Lord wanted you to do, then that would be uh, a a good course of action, wouldn't it? Yes. So um, we're not selling our our possessions in that uh, literal sense, you know, kind of trying to follow the, the parable literally. That's not how it's meant to be followed. But it's like the treasure hidden in the field. So how is the kingdom like then? Um, the, the uh, kingdom. How is the parable, how is the kingdom like, rather, the, the treasure hidden in the field? Well, it's hidden, first of all. It's hidden. The prior parables testify to this idea how the kingdom starts out small like the mustard seed. We'll come to that, as I told you, we're doing these out of order here. But um, sometimes the kingdom citizens are like wheat while there's others around like tares, and it's hard to tell the difference between the two, uh, it's hidden. It's not like that God is trying to be hard to get along with here, although the truth of Matthew 13 does come into this equation a little bit. That truth, remember, is that he hides the, the, the revelation from unbelievers and he reveals it to believers. Um, and it's true, too, that Satan doesn't want the good news to be published, does he? He blinds the minds of those who do not believe. Uh, He uh, tries to get nations like Canada to put laws into place to stop people from proclaiming the gospel of Christ. The same things are present here. You know, people that kind of think that that stuff's not going to come, it's not going to bother us, it's, it's nothing. You people need to open your eyes if you think that way. That's already in Ann Arbor. Remember? I, I don't know if I talked about that here, but, you know, gay conversion therapy is banned in Ann Arbor. The next thing is they'll want to put people in jail for doing gospel preaching, okay? So it's a sad state of affairs that we live in. 
And when this was talked about 10, 15 years ago in Canada, you know, sometimes people would say, oh, no, that couldn't be here. Well, it's, it's there now. Full bore on. I mean, they took the guy that was up in Canada, just wanted to preach the word and minister the gospel during the, the pandemic and threw him in jail, closed his church, put a fence around it. You know, how's that for a fine? How do you do? That's wickedness. So Satan's always trying to hide the message of the gospel. The Bible's the most censored book of all time. It's also the most published book of all time. That <laughs> could be why. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven is not seen out in the open, so it's easy to ignore it. You know, the whole idea of Jesus returning to be king is mocked. You know, where's the promise of his coming? And this adds to the pressure to keep people away from the things of God. The kingdom of heaven is hidden like the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is also like the treasure in that it is extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Uh, it's worth everything you possess to get it, even though you can't pay everything you possess in order to get it, right? But it's worth that. And this is the main point of this parable and of the next one. When you recognize the excellent value and worth of the kingdom, listen now, you will want it. You will, when you become a believer, what you're really doing is becoming a follower of the king, a disciple, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you share in its vast wealth and benefits. I mean, the Lord Jesus said when Peter asked, what do we have then? He said, well, if you've left fathers and mothers and lands and houses and all, you'll have a hundred times more of that now in this age and, and then in the age to come, eternal life. So the kingdom of heaven is extremely valuable. This is why, although we're not the kingdom, but we are an outpost of that kingdom as ambassadors in this world that it's distressing to this under-shepherd's soul to see people who treat like church very casually and don't care about it, uh, don't put forth much effort in being involved in it, uh, and that sort of thing, because the kingdom of heaven of whom we are become citizens is extraordinarily valuable beyond calculation. If the gospel of the kingdom is worthy of only a small portion of your time and consideration, you, you haven't really grasped yet what it is. You know, sometimes people, like if they find a, a sure thing investment, you know, well, they'll put $100,000 into it right quick, you know. But you have something more sure than that. If you've just added uh, the things of God into your life instead of making it and its king the core principles, you know, you've kind of added on the gospel and say, yeah, I like that, that's good, fire insurance or whatever, then you're not really getting it. If the gospel of the kingdom doesn't cause you great joy and doesn't cause you to change your path in life, then you don't really understand its value. It's extraordinarily valuable, and yet it is, it is hidden. That's why, you, you know, you can preach till you're blue in the face sometimes and somebody doesn't get it because their minds are blinded, their hearts are self-deceived, their desires are towards other things in this life, they think that you're an idiot for talking about these things because you talk about things that they haven't seen or experienced before, things that in some cases cannot be seen, only experienced, and um, you know, obviously seen is, is experience, but I think you know what I mean with regard to regeneration and so on. 
So the same message really twice in a row here. Now we come to the parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here it is, like. Again, the kingdom is like this parable. The the initial part of the parable concerns a man who is seeking valuable pearls. You could replace pearls with anything. Maybe he's hunting for diamonds, gold, whatever. The picture is clear. In the parable of the hidden treasure that we just looked at, it's not mentioned that the guy is searching for anything in particular. He just happens to come upon this treasure. He's like, wow, i got to have it. Um, But this person is actually going about seeking pearls. He is a merchant who is in this business. Um, He's hunting for the valuable pearls. He was a jeweler or a collector or wanted the best that he could find, whatever it is. And naturally, the kind of pearls he wants are rare and they are hidden, rare and hidden. You don't just find them laying around all over the place and uh, they're hidden from sight, you know, in, inside of the, the little creature that creates them. Now, he finds one and realizes that it is extremely valuable. By way of illustration, I've used this illustration before. It's uh, called the Pearl of Lao Tzu. L-A-O space T-Z-U, is valued at at least $35 million. This pearl is not gem quality. It's actually, to my way of looking at it, very ugly. When you look at the very misshapen, I call it misshapen kind of pearl. But it was the largest known pearl for a time, produced by a giant clam in the Philippines. This uh, what can I call it, stone? I don't know if you call it a stone, but kind of. It weighs just over 14 pounds and is irregular in its shape. In centuries past, pearls were sought. They were not produced commercially. Um, you know, you, you can just make a fake one or make one out of plastic or whatever. It, has, it was real, you know. Um, perhaps one oyster in every 2,000 pounds of harvested oysters produces a perfect pearl, very few in that sense. So the searcher sells everything he has to buy that pearl. Now, it's not clear if it's more valuable than what he sold or if its selling price was a bargain. We don't know that, but it was more valuable to him because he freely made the exchange for it. No one forced him to do so. He really wanted it. So on the open market, the value of it was what the market would bear, and he bought it and he got it. So, uh, So he was happy. So how's the kingdom not like this parable? Well, it's a bit different because there's none who seeks after God initially. None who seeks after God. And, and this means that there is no one who, without God drawing him, John 6, will be genuinely searching for God or for the kingdom for that matter. However, if somebody is genuinely looking, then you know why they're genuinely looking, because God is doing a work in their heart. How is the kingdom like this parable? Once again, we can't miss the fact that it's hidden and extremely valuable. So see, both parables are reinforcing this notion that it's hidden and extremely valuable. When it's realized by a person just how valuable it is, he or she will give up whatever it takes to obtain it. In short, the believer wants to be part of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to have a portion of that. You know, more than he wants to buy houses and lands and things in this 
in this world. Although we might have to do that and we might have to be wise stewards and you know, use the resources God has given us to do those things, that's not really where our heart is. Our heart yearns for that which is the coming kingdom because it's more important to us that we would see righteousness and the love of God and Christ ruling on his throne and, and those sorts of things. That's what we want. Um, you know, there's no hemming and hawing around about how the person, you know, really, I really want to keep this habit or I don't want to give up this thing or whatever, whatever, you know. They, they don't, they, you know, can I keep living like I want and still have the gospel? When somebody sees the value of it, they're willing to just chuck everything else. Um, all my ambitions, plans, and wishes. What's the song say? At my feet in ashes lay. Yeah. You realize all that stuff that I sought after before was but dung. I've left that behind and I've followed after Christ, Paul says. Because God has opened my eyes. I see the value of his kingdom and the value of his work. You know, if somebody says, do I have to repent? They're entirely out of touch with kingdom reality. Entirely out of touch. Somebody who doubts that is part of sound Christian doctrine just simply has missed the boat. And that's the scary thing. People think they're real Christians when they're talking like this. And they have not grasped this basic truth at all. Do I have to repent? No, you want to repent. You want to be disconnected from your sin because you want the things of God. You don't want the things of sin and wickedness. I want to repent is the response of one truly moved by the good news. The new believer will gladly give up his sin and idolatry. He will count the cost and pay it. She will take up the cross and follow Christ. He will have great joy and delight to find the pearl of greatest price. Indeed, the Bible says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because it's so hard for them to recognize the value of the kingdom relative to their, to their goods. What do they need? You know, they, they don't need anything, they think. Money answers everything. Solves all of their problems. Just throw some more money at it and it'll be fine. But they're going to come to the end of their days too. We just heard of two famous people that died in the last couple of days. They've stood before God or, or know the outcome. They, you know, Maybe the judgment actually occurs a little later when the resurrection happens. Obviously, we've talked about that. But uh, colloquially, we say they've, they know. They know if their life spent pursuing entertainment or political aspirations was worth it. So the pearl of great price is a parable. It's a parable. By the way, there is a book produced by the Mormon Joseph Smith called The Pearl of Great Price. But it's not to be confused with this parable. It contains various translations of make-believe documents and doctrines of Joseph Smith's collected uh, of Joseph Smith, and these were collected by the LDS organization. It has no true religious value whatsoever, and it's not worth selling anything to buy it. Okay, so if that shocks you how I said that, well, too bad, because that's what the truth is. Um, it's not worth 
the kind of thing we're talking about here. The pearl of great price is a parable having to do with the kingdom of heaven and the king and his preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel as it's often preached today tells of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells of the meaning of those events, why they occurred and what they accomplished toward God and toward man. And this is extremely significant because wholeheartedly trusting in the Messiah is the only way of salvation from sin. It's the only way to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But this is just the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom. It's the entryway or the foyer into the kingdom of God that will be ruled by Christ in a future age and then turned into the eternal heaven after that. Your participation in that is priceless and thus worthy of your life to obtain. It's hidden, but it's extremely valuable. That's the message tonight. Seek it, find it, search for it with all of your heart. Pursue it with all your energy. Father, we pray that you would take these words and really plop them right into our hearts in a place where they will move us and exercise us to follow your ways and your will. Keep us from the paths of sin, Lord, I pray. May the world have less and less allure to us, although we do enjoy some of the blessings that you've given to us and we don't doubt those things and, or downplay them, rather. But we do want to know the blessedness of having the mind set on things above and not on things on the earth. From where our Savior comes is above and he will come and transform our lowly bodies that they might be like his glorious one and that we might live and reign with him forever. Thank you for this. May we see the, that the kingdom is hidden, not to us now because we've come to know it and valuable. And may that value exceed everything in our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.